We're going to be looking tonight and continuing in this series about overcoming overload. Overcoming overload. And uh, let's just begin, though, before we even jump in with that, with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and just thank God for this time. Father, we do thank you. We thank you so much that you're good, you're faithful, full of loving kindness, mercy, and grace, and we need it. We need it each day, Father, and we thank you that we can take some time right now to just kind of catch our breaths and to focus on you and to hear from your word and uh, just learn, Father, how in the midst of busyness and life that we can pause and just refresh and focus on you. And so we pray that you would give us those tools to be able to do that, Father. And uh, we want to be a people that uh, move forward with your power and your energy and make an impact in the world that you've placed us in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this section, or in this study that Wade's been leading us in, called Overcoming Overload. And uh, he's basically taken it from this book, by uh, Overcoming Overload, by Stephen Mary Farrar, Seven Ways to Find Rest in a Chaotic World. And isn't that the world we live in? A chaotic one. Chaotic, full of things that are tugging at us, pulling on our time, and weighing us down. And there are three reasons that the author's kind of given there about ways, three reasons of why we can sometimes feel so much overload in our lives and feel overwhelmed and pressured. And the first one that they talk about is the pressure of life, just living the pressure of life, the stress that can come with a move or with kids or sickness and just the day-to-day pressures that are put on our lives oftentimes make us feel overloaded. And then also the pace of life, the pace of life. We live in a 24-7 culture, don't we? We live in a 24-7 culture. It hasn't always been that way. It hasn't. I've read about times, heard of times, that when the sun went down, it got quiet. That's no longer the case, is it? I even have read that that phrase, 24-7, is a relatively new phrase. It's been around my whole lifetime, as far as I can remember, but the phrase 24-7, that even hasn't always been around. But that's the world we live in. You know, where shops used to close, the internet never shuts down. You can just go right and we can click, click, click in our pajamas all night long if we wanted to. We live in that kind of culture. And there are lies that really uh, perpetuate that. There are some lies that we have to watch out for that drive that kind of pace. And one of them is that you can have it all. You can have it all. We hear that. We're marketed that message constantly. You can have it all. And you can't. You wouldn't want it if you could. Be miserable if you had it all. Trying to take care of it all. Keep it all from rusting and wearing out. But um, there are some folks that even though they have a lot, we know that they're miserable. King Solomon was somebody in Scripture that whatever his heart desired, he had. Somebody who seemed to have it all. But do you remember what king solomon talked about that it was like a striving after the do you remember the wind like a striving after the wind and it just never is something that's attainable not something that we want uh and you can do it all that's another lie that we're sometimes faced with you can do it all if you look at the 
schedule of an average family's life, you begin to see, you see people trying to fit it all in, don't you? School and practices and everything else. This idea that you can do it all. You can't. And uh, we overload ourselves and our families and our kids. And then that we deserve it all. This sense of kind of entitlement that sometimes comes along and forces that pace of life ever and ever faster. I was uh, looking at some advertisements, some old McDonald's advertisements, and that was one of their slogans for a time. You deserve it. You deserve it. And uh, we can just uh, hear that message that we deserve and we can fall into that kind of trap. So there's the pressure of life that can overwhelm, the pace of life, and then there's sometimes just the pain of life. The pain of life. Because of sin, we live in a broken, upside-down, backwards, hurting world, right? And there's pain that results from living in that kind of world. And we never know, you know, when it's going to come. It could be a call. It could be a, a mom or a dad that hurts us, or a, a son, a daughter, or just a mess we make up all on our own. But there's pain in life. If we've lived very long at all, we know that there are times when there can just be pain. And that can be overwhelming and can push us down. And life has tragedies and wounds that are unavoidable. And they can overwhelm us. They can overwhelm us. So, you know, it's, I, the picture that I've had in my mind today as I've been looking at this is kind of that of a cell phone. You know, you can't, your phone can't last a week or a month or a year on a charge, can it? It can't last. It has to be recharged, and our souls need to be refreshed, revitalized, and recharged. And I don't know how you feel, but if, if I look at my phone right now, I'm at 9%. <laughs> And sometimes at the end of the day or about this time, my, uh, my energy levels can kind of parallel my, my phone. And sometimes that happens to us. We begin to get in that red zone where the ba- low battery, 10%, kind of pops up. And we need to refresh and recharge. We're not made to go nonstop. We were made to take a break and to take a pause. And so what's the solution? If we live in the midst of this world where we're constantly being bombarded, we're constantly overwhelmed by the pain, the pressure, all of these things that can come with life, what is the solution? Well, there were several that we're going to be walking through these next few weeks, and Wade's already led us through some. First and foremost is we need a Savior. All of the rest, everything on there following, you could strike out if you don't have a Savior, nothing else will be of any value or any use to you. We need a Savior. And then last week, Wade talked about our need for a Sabbath, that principle of a Sabbath, that we need to take a time when we incorporate Sabbath or rest into our lives. We need a sanctuary. We're going to be looking at that tonight. Sustenance, supplication, we need to simplify, and we need a sovereign to know that there is a God who is in control, who knows the end, and who is sovereign over all things but let's look tonight at sanctuary and uh, before we get into some of the things that um, Farrar mentions in here about sanctuary and how we can incorporate principles of that into our lives let's look for a moment at the background of sanctuary the background of sanctuary sanctuary is a consecrated holy and set apart place a consecrated, 
holy and set apart place. And that's what holy, holy is. It means separate, set apart, a dedicated place. And sanctuary, the concept of that was established by God in the Old Testament. Established by God in the Old Testament. We're going to walk through a little bit of, of picture of, that we see of sanctuary in the Old Testament. Sanctuary was a place where God established his presence, where the people could gather to worship him. Sanctuary was the place where God established his presence, where the people could gather to worship him. And where did that begin? It began when God instructed Moses to build a sanctuary, to build the tabernacle. God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, and that's what came first. And you can turn to Exodus. Let's look at that passage real quick in Exodus. In Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. God is meeting with Moses and giving him some instructions there about this sanctuary. And there in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, right after God has spoken, the Lord's spoken to Moses and told the, uh, to tell him to tell the people all the different things that they're to gather in preparation for the building of this tabernacle. In verses 8 and 9 he says, And let them make me a sanctuary, a sanctuary, a holy place, a consecrated place, a set-apart place, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. And then for the next five chapters, in great detail, are laid out the instructions of how to build this tabernacle, starting with the inside out, starting there with the ark. And through the next five chapters, you can see the detailed instructions that God gave for the tent and for all the items that were to be placed in it. So that was the sanctuary that God, the dwelling place for God's people as they traveled. That movable tent, whereas he led them in wilderness and into the land, where he promised he would be with them, where he would set up his dwelling place with his people. But then God allowed Solomon to build a temple. God allowed Solomon to build a temple. Do you remember? David had actually wanted to build a temple. There was a time when David had been fighting, and he says, here I am, living in my palace, and the ark, the sanctuary, the holy place, is in a tent. That ought not to be. But the Lord speaks and says, no, David, you are not going to be the one to do it. It's going to be your son, Solomon. I'm going to give him rest from the enemies. I'm going to give them rest. And Solomon will build for me the temple. And let's just flip over there to 1 Kings 6, chapter 1, where God allowed Solomon to build the temple. So David subdued the enemies, and his son Solomon now built the temple. And there in verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the 480th year, after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord, the temple there in Jerusalem. 
And that, by the way, is a kind of an interesting note that that was the spring of 966 B.C. There's a lot of very specific things that are laid out in that verse that allow us to date that to the spring of 966 B.C. And it's also interesting, do you see what they tie that verse to in terms of looking back at the people? They tied it in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. Now why, why would they date it based on that? I started wondering about that. And it just struck me that this is God reminding his people, hey, I've kept my promise. I've been with you. I've created a nation. I've given you a place, and this is it. And reminding his people of God's faithfulness in building a nation, in building a people, and then allowing Solomon there to, be, uh, to build the temple there. So the sanctuary went from being a tent to a temple, but then something happened that changed everything. Something happened that changed everything. It was the cross and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. you remember when Jesus died on the cross, what was torn? Remember what was torn? The veil. The veil was torn. The veil was torn when Christ died on the cross. And I'm sure that in these coming weeks, Wade is going to go in depth as he talks and uh, as we're going through these series on uh, saints from the cross, that Wade will talk about that. But let me just read that verse from... Matthew twenty seven fifty one And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. From top to bottom, God tore it, just like a piece of paper gets torn. It wasn't torn from bottom to top. No person could have done it torn from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, sometimes we might think of a curtain as just a little light, flimsy thing, you know, hanging across your windows. As thick as a man's palm, as thick as a man's palm was that, that veil that hung there separating that Holy of Holies from the rest of the place and it was torn top to bottom. And you know what that marked? That marked the end of the Mosaic system of worship and an opening, an opening of uh, God's to allow us to come into access to God. An opening of access to God for us and an end of the Mosaic system. It was no longer little lambs that had to be slain, right? And their blood taken in. The veil was torn because the Lamb of God was slain there at the cross and have access to God through that. And then at Pentecost, the sanctuary became the heart of believers, at Pentecost, the sanctuary became the heart of believers. I love these passages in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Let me read these to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Sometimes we can gloss over that. You are that temple. You know, that is a radical statement to have been made at that day and time when the temple still stood in Jerusalem. For Paul to write, hey, you're the temple. What that would have signified in the mind of those people who heard it, 
I'm the temple? That place where God dwells, where we can meet with him, I'm the temple? That was an amazing concept for these New Testament believers to hear and to learn that sometimes we can gloss over today. And then in uh, chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the sanctuary is no longer a place, but a people. No longer a place, but a people. And listen, that's why we, we don't call this room a sanctuary, right? That's why we can eat here, <laughs> and why my kids can spill drinks here, <laughs> and why people play basketball and sweat in this room, right? Because it's a room. But we can use it for a place of worship and glorify God in that place. But the difference is, this isn't the sanctuary, We're the sanctuary. We're the temple where God resides, where his Holy Spirit resides in us. So, if there's no temple for us to go to and we are the temple, how can we meet with God in the midst of a world that's constantly shouting at us? If we don't have this temple to retreat to, where can we go? How can we hear from God in the midst of a world that constantly seems to be bombarding us with noise, interference, and distractions. Where can we go? So to overcome overload, we must find a sanctuary. To overcome overload is vital that we take the time and find a place to be alone with God. It's vital that we take the time and find a place to be alone with God. So while we're the sanctuary, it's still important for us to follow that principle of having a time and place to meet with the Lord one-on-one. You know, one-on-one time is needed for a close relationship, right? Any close relationship. I need to spend one-on-one time with my boys. I need to spend one-on-one time with my wife. Anyone that I'm going to have a close relationship with, I need to have one-on-one time. And the same is true with our relationship with God, that we need to take time out for that one-on-one time to deepen our relationship. I love these quotes that are uh, are right here. One is from Philip G. Hamerton. It says, we need society. We need company. We need people. We need people around us. And And we need solitude also, as we need summer and winter, day and night, exercise and rest. See, we need, we need sanctuary to recharge. And I love this quote here by Austin Phelps, that no large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often long alone with God. No large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often long alone with God. So we need sanctuary not only to recharge, but we also need it to grow. We need it to grow in our own personal walk with God. So let's look at some uh, characteristics of sanctuary that uh, we can learn from that Farrar points out in this uh, really good book. I haven't read all of it yet, but I've read uh, most of it and have really been blessed and I'm thankful that Wade is leading us through this. But the first is solitude. Solitude. There are times when we need a cessation of human interaction. 
There are times when we need a cessation of human interaction. And you know, this is true for each one of us. And it was important to Christ as well. He took time alone and away. There are ter- several time, places in Scripture where you can you see Jesus getting away, away from his, the disciples, away from the crowd, and taking that time to get alone with the Father. Right after feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 13, 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself, by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. We need a place where we can get alone. It was important to Jesus who had a relatively short span of ministry, was trying to pour into all these people, yet he still took the time, found the time to get alone and spend time with the Father. And listen, there are some of us in this room tonight that it's easier for than others. There are some who are introverts, and that time alone is a place where you can recharge, and it's, oh, you love it. You get in that alone time, and it's just energizing. There are others of you who are extroverts, love being around people, and the idea of getting alone by yourself, oh, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. But listen, it's something that each one of us needs to avoid being overwhelmed. It doesn't matter if we're introverted or extroverted. We need to take time to get alone. Solitude, just by yourself, with God, spending time with Him. We also need silence in our lives, a cessation of noise. Silence, we need it. We need some silence in our lives. Let me read a little bit from Psalm 62. From Psalm 62, the first couple of verses. For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. We need to take time to be silent before the Lord. Listen. Listening to him. We need time when we can get alone with him and listen to God. Not talking, just some time listening. And again, just like some are introverts and extroverts, some are comfortable with silence and some are uncomfortable. But we need to take time and find that place of silence. I don't know if y'all have know this or if you've gotten accustomed to it, but y'all realize we're in the flight path of like one of the busiest airports in the world. I was, uh, had just got here about four weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, and I was laying in bed at my in-law's house over here on Milam Lane, right off of Mackinvale, and at about 9.45, I thought there was going to be an airplane land on the house. And about every three minutes, they just lined up, vroom, vroom. and the next morning, I'm like, Beth, is that, is that like a one-time deal? Like, no, that's, <laughs> that happens here. And I mentioned it to Derek at the office the next day, and it's like, airplanes? I don't even notice them anymore. Sometimes the noise in our lives can become so constant that we don't even realize it, right? But we need time to get away and to get silent. There's some, I, and I've been guilty of this, you walk in the door, walk in the house, grab the remote control, and just turn on the TV. 
not even watching anything, just having it on for the noise. There are times when we do that. But we need time in our life where we're not bothered by this static noise that's constantly bombarding us. We need times of solitude and we need times of silence. And, you know, it's so funny with the airplane deal. Well, you know what I did to, so that I could sleep, uh, you know, to get rid of the noise? I turned on noise. I turned on a noisemaker to get rid of the noise. So it's just funny. Sometimes we even use noise to cancel out noise. But there are times in our lives when we need some silence. Stillness. Cessation of activity. Stillness. To just pause. Quit running. Quit moving. Quit doing. And we need to be still. We need to be still. And if we're not, sometimes God will just make us. Sometimes he'll just make us be still. You know know the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm about our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he makes us lie down. And we need to. The good shepherd knows that we need to be still from time to time, right? We've got to be still. Got to slow down and be still before God. And then you guys know Psalm 46.10. Be still and know what? Be still and know that I am God. God wants us to be still at times. He wants us to be still. And we're not a very still people, are we? And you know, it's interesting, that verse, be still and know that I am God, when it shows up there in Psalm 46, 10, lead, before that, it's talking about the earth giving way, the mountains moved into the sea, the waters roaring and foaming, the mountains trembling and swelling, and all these things going on, the nations raging, the kingdoms totter. Sounds like the news, doesn't it? Kinda. We can get pretty worked up about all that's going on around us. And we can get in a frenzy and a panic. And right in the midst of all that is, be still and know that I am God. And then as missions pastor, I love the next part. And I will be exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth. So we can get panicky and we can uh, get so... Uh, into busyness with all that's going on around us, but there are times when God just wants us to come before him and to be still. And there are some that are always in motion, right? My boys, I don't know, uh, my two little boys, unless they're very sick, they will not sit still in my lap. It's constant motion, constant motion, kicking, moving their arms, picking on my ear, just doing whatever. And sometimes we're like that too. We don't just get still before God. But there are times when we just need to be still. So there are some characteristics of sanctuary that we need. We need solitude. We need some silence. And we need some stillness. And those are good principles for us to have to avoid being overwhelmed and overtaken by the pressures of life. But there are a couple of things that I want you to see and make sure that you hear that I am not saying tonight. Some things that I'm not saying. You know, I've been in, uh, served in parts of the world where um, 
Buddhism is the predominant religion, and I've been around Hinduism and some of these other isms, but in some of those places, it's an emptying that people are trying to seek. It's an emptying, and the goal is not an emptying, but a filling. It's not an emptying, but a filling. I've seen uh, young monks who just sit for hours and hours reciting the same thing over and over again that they don't even understand, trying to empty their minds. That's not what this is about. This isn't some kind of new age thing where you get in a closet and you hum to yourself for 30 minutes. That's not what we're trying to do when we get alone with God. So it's not emptying, but it's a filling and a focusing on Him. And this also doesn't mean that we don't gather together as a church, that we don't gather together as God's people. You know, there's some, well, my church is on my boat fishing on a Saturday. That's my church. That's not, this is an effort to replace a corporate time of worship and lifting up the name of Jesus and focusing on him. That's not what we're talking about here. But in order to avoid being overwhelmed by life, we do need to take these breaks in our lives where we just get alone and get with our Heavenly Father and spend time with him. And listen, failure to visit the sanctuary to take the time, ensures an eventual distancing from God and an unhealthy drawing near to the world. A distancing from God and an unhealthy drawing near to the world. When we don't take time to be alone with God, we will (laughs) begin to be pressed into the mold of this world. We do. You know, uh, there in Romans it says, do not be conformed to this world. And that word conformed, it's like Plato being pressed, being pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to get alone with God and allow him to renew our minds so that we're not just constantly pressed into the mold of this world. And listen, failure to visit the sanctuary ensures distancing from God and an unhealthy drawing near to the world, but the opposite is also true. The opposite's also true. As we spend time with God, one-on-one time with him, we're going to deepen our relationship with our Father. We're going to deepen our relationship with the Father and remove the confusion and chaos that the world constantly gives us.